Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. outside of Malibu and it's one of my favorite places to come to when I want to just get the hell away from my noisy ass neighbors. So it is Sunday August 8th. Today is the last day of the Tokyo Summer Olympics and the show that I'm discussing is called Reply 1988 which starts off with the Seoul Summer Olympics from 33 years ago. Reply 1988 is the third installment of the Reply series or Answer Me series and it's written by writer Yi Woo-jung who is a very versatile writer. She worked on several Korean variety shows that I really love including Heroin 6 and the first season of Two Days, One Night, which I watched obsessively when I was living in Korea from 2009 to 2010. Uh, Yoo Jung also wrote Grandpa's Over Flowers. She wrote Three Meals a Day. She wrote A New Journey to the West and Yoon's Kitchen, which features the illustrious Oscar-winning actress Yoon Yeo Jung. Yoo Jung is also the writer of Hospital Playlist, which is in its second season right now on Netflix as we speak. And to be honest, I like season two better than season one of Hospital Playlist. Hospital Playlist isn't exactly as sprightly and jovial as the, the Reply series are because we're dealing with somewhat older characters. I mean, they're all supposedly in their 40s, so they're a bit slower. But I don't know, I, I, I still think she's a great writer. Reply 1997 and Reply 1994 have so many overlaps and overlapping cast members and some of the storylines they do cross paths but they're distinct shows meaning each show is its own show they're not seasonal okay and Reply 1988 is similar right there's this one story or character overlap towards the end of Reply 1988 but the Reply series, as I mentioned, they're not in seasons, they're not, so they're not three seasons. They're just three different shows, all written and directed by the same people. And each show uh, has a new cast, but the exception is Hong Dong-il and Yu Il-hwa, who play the parents of the female protagonist in every single Reply series. In fact, uh, Song Dong-ye makes a couple of cameo appearances in Hospital Playlist as well. And this is usually the case. The writer of a Korean drama does have a lot of say in that she'll pick an actor or actress that she really likes and try to have them, uh, you know, recur in all of the shows that she writes. Reply 1988 was a career-shifting show for basically everybody that appeared on that program, alright? So, Hitty of Girls' Day was already very well known for being a K-pop star, right? But this show earned her like massive clout as a serious actress. And the amount of endorsements that she got as a result of this program is like unbelievably high. Uh, in fact, a few years ago, she showed up on the Korean talk variety show Happy Together with Yoo Jae-suk and she was crying over how guilty she feels for getting so much more attention and money than her Girls' Day colleagues. That's how big of a show this was. It really catapulted her career as an actress. 
고경표, 박보검, 류준열, and 이동이 all have careers as actors. They all had a career as actors already, but this show boosted their popularity like to the next level. And uh, you see all four of them regularly in movies and TV shows now. A little bit of gas. Well, it's not gas. It's actually just a fact. Uh, Yoo j u n y e o l and h i d i started dating about a year after Reply 1988 ended, and I was, to be frank, I was a bit happy to hear that because h i d i was actually dating Tony Ahn from HOT, and I was like, Tony Ahn, you cradle rocking piece of shit. Reply 1988 is the third and final installment of the Reply series, and it's probably the best and my favorite. I think I watched the show about five or six times in its entirety already, and I cry every single time I watch it. Okay, it has a lot of heart. It's super hilarious. The actor who plays Kim Jung Bong, um, An Jae Hong is his name. He cracked me up the most. Right? Like, I don't know. He just has something about him. Uh, Yi Dong Hee is also hilarious. Yi Dong Hee plays Do Dong Yong. Okay? And you can see Yi Dong Hee in the latest episodes of How Do You Play, which is a variety show that also uh, is hosted by Yoo Jae Sung. And he's a remarkable singer. I mean, I was like really shocked to hear how amazing. Of an R&B singer, Yi Dong Hee is, but he's very, very talented. Um, I think Yi Dong Hee is one of those actors who has like this vibe that's just likable both on and off screen. He plays Do Dong Yong very well on Reply 1988, and he fits that character like a glove, just so perfectly. Like finding a nice pair of jeans that fit just right. Like that's what this character was like for Yi Dong Hee, and I think a lot of people feel similarly. It's interesting to see how in Reply 1988, like the laws and politics back in Seoul in the late 80s, it's you could kind of see its evolutionary progress, like year by year. It was happening very rapidly and fast. Um, this is an ongoing theme in all the Reply shows, but music is a huge proponent on, on this program. Okay, I really discourage you from watching any of the Reply series on Netflix or Viki if you're living in North America, because they removed all the original music cues. Okay, so I recommend that you watch it on Drama Cool or some other site where they did not edit out the songs. There's one scene in particular when t o k s u n and Dorungyong are singing together, and it's this amazing scene. But Netflix cut it out because of the music cue issues. And I know I complain about this all the time, but I, I just don't think it's responsible of Netflix or Viki or Cocoa to acquire these shows that they don't have all the clearances for. Okay, that's just shoddy acquisition work. The way that the Reply series delivers that particular generation's affect. And social atmosphere is carried through by the music that that generation is listening to. So to remove all that music is really like burning cigarette holes into the original Mona Lisa. Okay, it's just really fucked up. I won't say much else about the show because I think the show speaks for itself. It's definitely one driven by nostalgia, like just like all the Reply shows. But you can see some of the democratic evolution that settles into South Korea over time. Okay, for instance, you catch glimpses of the student demonstrations that are in this show, uh, which is very very significant. Student demonstrations and activism were a huge part of Korea's democratization. And you have to know that even though South Korea declared itself as a republic, they were dictated by military authority leaders who were basically fascists. All right, they murdered a lot of their own people. They suppressed and they imprisoned a lot of their own people. Many of them were students, and there was just a lot of political turmoil in the late 1980s. I mean, all throughout the 60s and 70s and 80s for sure. The question is, where did these student protesters go after they graduated? Right. 
And the sad thing is a lot of these student protesters in the 1980s, they went to elite schools. And once they graduated, a lot of them got cushy white collar office jobs and made some money and that turned them politically conservative, right? That's what money does to a person. It makes a person lose touch with their humanity, forget the causes that they fought for. They become desensitized to a lot of the similar plight that still plagues current generations today, but they just completely forget it, right? So there's this sort of capitalist amnesia that sets in, right? And then they all become conservative, which is a sad thing to see. This, this tendency also happens when people have children, right? When they have like a nuclear family, heteronormativity, like that kind of thing. That's also when conservatism starts to creep in. So how do you prevent this kind of debilitating change from happening, right? Like this kind of uh, political Alzheimer's, let's call it. An individual must always remember to stay in touch with themselves, right? What do I mean by that? I mean, an individual must know who they are know who you are know what you are understand and know where your state of home is in your mind this is very crucial so you always have a home to come back to right i have some friends now who used to know what they were fighting for but now they're just comfortable in their lifestyles and they don't care they don't give a shit and that's fine but you know i also think that's sad the more you have to say to rationalize your shitty choices the more it means that you've lost your sense of self you've lost touch with your state of home. All right, the other thing I wanna talk about real quick is um, I do have merch. Uh, I ordered some magnets, like K-Drama School magnets. So it, has, it's like, it looks like this. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. If you're not watching on YouTube, I'll upload it on Instagram. Um, I'm not gonna open up a store online just yet because it does cost money and I just don't wanna be in the red at the moment. So you could just Venmo me or PayPal me. Um, you can Venmo me at HJ at A-E-C-H-J-A-Y. PayPal is the same. A-E-C-H-J-A-Y at gmail.com is PayPal. Um, but yeah, if, if you want to order properly, just email me at kdramaschool at gmail.com and um, I'll just get your order started. And th these are limited supply items, so get them while you can. Um, the set of two will be uh, $6.00. Get those. Uh, also, I have eight copies of my book, Delhi Ideology, which you can order directly from me. All right, like I'll I'll send you a signed copy of my book if you email me at kdramaschool@gmail.com. You can order it by just emailing me, and I will send it to you. Shipping and handling costs separate. All right. So, um, yeah, I got merch. Okay. Today's guest is Jovan Hutch. He's a comedian, journalist, and lawyer. He grew up in Harlem and the Bronx, but he now lives in Berlin with his husband. And Joe is very funny. He offers a wealth of knowledge, and he's a really good person, which makes him a truly lovable soul. So let's talk to Jovan Hutch. How's it been? How's it been in Berlin? Um, Let's see. You remember the Berlin of, like, party fun yes. <laughs> and freedom yeah. yeah that's not the case anymore no. oh man no yeah berlin under lockdown is kind of like what i imagine cincinnati oh like. god lord <laughs> it sounds awful i didn't realize it was that bad just, what is there to do what is there to do There's nothing to sit do sit in your house watch television smoke meth i don't know <laughs> 
Right? See, we used to go to the clubs for that. You know? And now <laughs> we don't even have that. Ugh, at least put a little beat on it. So you're going to come back to the States basically to just get vaccinated, see your family? Exactly. I mean, so there was, there's a few things I need to do. Um, uh-huh. Mainly vaccination is up there, but then also um, like I need a new passport. Okay. And so theoretically I could send my passport to the embassy from here and just wait to get a new one. But right. that would also mean I was a black man in Europe without a passport. Oh. Mm-hmm. And you know they like to, they don't like to let it, so they like to catch and deport. So I'm not, I'm, there's no 12 years of slave happening in my <laughs> life for me. You know, 12 years in Mogadishu. I don't know where they would, they would find a place to send me. Well, he looks, I don't know, you, they, they kind of look like he used to, no, no. So I'm going home, yeah. right, take my passport, fly home, get that new passport, fly back with it. Yeah. Thank you. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 Where does your family live in New York? Uh, so, historically, Harlem, the Bronx. Nice. Harlem, the Bronx. But I do have to claim Staten Island now as well as family out in Staten Island. <laughs> uh, so, I know that ferry back and forth and back okay. and forth. Um, and uh, Brooklyn as well. So, kind of Sweet. all. No Queens. Mm. It's okay. Where in Brooklyn? Oh, yeah. Sorry? Where in Brooklyn? Um. So... I don't even know the area. Okay. It's a really good question. There's like houses. It's like. <laughs> it's probably like, like. Family Brooklyn. It's probably like Sheepshead Bay or Bay Ridge. Yeah. Like. Yeah. There. Yeah. Right down there. Yeah. I um I lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn when I was a child. Yeah. So I remember houses and roses and things like that. It was very like. Not city like. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. there's a driveway. <laughs> like, right. Their driveways. Yeah. There was like an ice cream parlor, like a nearby ice cream parlor. And yeah, it was like very quaint and town like. Yeah. Bay Ridge. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is cool. That's that's awesome. Um, I love that you're from New York. That like makes me feel so good because, you know, it's like it's hard to find like New Yorkers, like true New Yorkers, you know, but like New Yorkers get it. It's like yeah. things that I don't need to explain. Like just get it and fucking a. Oh well, okay. What uh, what took you to Berlin and like when? When did you move to Berlin? Okay, so yeah, so Berlin. It's it started for free. It was for free. It could have been anywhere. Like so, I'm like literally that joke. But you can go in. It it would have been anywhere. I was in high school and there was a scholarship announcement yeah. um, to go spend a year. It. And it happened to be Germany. I was just, I wanted to get out of my high school at wow. that point. So I would have literally gone in sure. there. Yeah. I knew nothing about German. I didn't speak uh, Germany. I didn't speak German. Um, but I applied for the scholarship. Yeah. Got it. And so then I came here when I was 15 years old. What? Um, not to Berlin. Not to Berlin. That would have been too much. <laughs> 15 year old. <laughs> not. I don't know. I'm a 16 year old, right? So 15, I was like out. <laughs> Out, uh, like in like Northwest, kind of like near Hamburg, kind of. Okay. Um, so yes, I, I did a year there and I was like, oh my God, it's really fun being a teenager in Europe. Yeah. Like, I like this. Like I have like things I can do. I like people I can see. Um, yeah. so yes, yeah, so that was when I was 15, 16. And then I finished high school and then just like started coming back as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been like over 20 years that I've been coming back and forth to Lord. Germany. Yeah. It's some 
there's something about Germany that is very, like, I don't know, wonderful. Like, I love Germany. I love Berlin, you know? Like, that's why I keep going back whenever I can. But, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's quiet, you know? <laughs> People it's are beer. quiet. Let's be honest, I'm talking about it's quiet. It's beer. It's beer. It's walking <laughs> around with beers in your hands, okay? <laughs> That's what it is. It's I'm great. <laughs> it's great. Like, I drank so many fucking brewskis while in Berlin. Like, just go to the park, beer. Go to the pool, beer. Go to the lake, beer. It's just beer all day. Man, I quit drinking, though, during the pandemic. I don't know how that'll change once I go to Berlin. It's not like I'm sober or anything. I don't have chips. But, yeah, I was just like, I think I'm over alcohol <laughs> i was like all right bye <laughs> i mean it's not fun when it's just you at home right then it's just like well it feels pathetic that's really the case that was genuinely the thing i was like i feel like a loser getting shit-faced by myself like yeah. This, yeah. this is not fun i feel like an idiot i broke two wine glasses by myself you know it's like this is loser shit Sorry. <laughs> it's a stupid loser shit i gotta Were stop you fighting yourself like how are you it was an accident i was like i was like looking for something and i knocked the wine glass onto the floor from my coffee table and the stem broke and i was like oh grace now you have to clean up glass like it's stupid like you know i'm already so klutzy like why add alcohol to that <laughs> you know it's just dumb i don't know i was just like when I was younger, I was like, when I turn 40, I'll stop drinking, you know, it's just because alcohol is not good for you in general. And it's like, I was like, I'll just set a deadline, like by 40, I'll stop. But then, yeah, this past year, I was like, I'm just going to stop now. Yeah, I was like, I, it's... we've all been aged. So, you know, like the <laughs> pandemic has aged us just like herbal you past the 40 you thought well, you'd have a bit more Dude. time for. Did you find gray hairs, like more gray hairs this, like during this year? Cause that's what happened with me. Like I was finding more grays in my temples, which is like, uh oh, that's why I, like I got highlights. Cause I was like, I, I, is this, I don't feel good about this. So I love how you're pointing at your head for the gray hairs because I had this experience. I was brushing my teeth you know, have a little shirt off, brushing my teeth. And I'm like, oh, I got some little fuzz on my chest. So I'm trying to like, wipe off the fuzz <laughs> the fuzz is not going anywhere <laughs> fuzz is very happy where it is because yeah go away all... fuzz yeah 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 it's like it just yeah oh it's the white hairs yeah i no, it really like this happened to everybody like everybody I spoke to they said they felt older like aged slower you know just all of that yeah i think solitude and it's just, I don't think it's good for us. We're not meant for it. Yeah. Well, that's why you're out on the other side, all vaccinated. Thank you for having that. <laughs> Did you have to fight with anyone to get your vaccination? I got people on I did it. It was very peaceful. There's a YMCA, like a five minute drive from where I live. And they just like opened up the YMCA parking lot. And so I got there very early. It was a very short line. And I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So one dose shot yeah and then after right after the shot they have you sit for 15 minutes just to monitor you and then they're like okay you're good bye and i just like i think i got like a i think i got steam buns <laughs> on my way back home <laughs> that's the thing about la though that like i mean in new york 
you know, if I want to get really good, like Asian food or Chinese food, you know, it's like, I'll go to Chinatown or I'll go to K-Town, you know, I'll go to Queens. But in LA, there's like really, really good Asian food, like everywhere, fucking everywhere. It's Asians like in, in California, like they got it down in all the supermarkets and being Asian in, in Cali is just like not weird. You know, like if I go up to the Bay Area or if I meet like a Bay Area Asian American, they have this Bay Area Asian American confidence that us East Coast Asian kids lack, you know, because in the Bay Area, being Asian is like the norm. There's so many fucking Asians in the Bay Area that they just like they all just grew up seeing one another and nobody shamed them for bringing Asian food to school or listening to like asian music or media it was just always cool it was accepted whereas in the east coast there was some shaming going on you know a lot of it was in, like internalized like self-inflicted but it was also like because of that self-inflicted stuff and the presumption of the white gaze and whatnot like it just became hard for i don't know asian american kids in the east coast so the east coast asians have this little damage you know that the bay area asian american kids don't have well, actually, yeah. So I remember I knew a guy in law school mm. who was like, I'm leaving to New York. He's uh, originally Korean. He's like, I'm leaving to New York to move to San Francisco. And I didn't get it because right. I didn't know everything you're telling me right now. But he was basically mm. like, like, I want to have a life. I want to meet somebody. I want to be happy. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. y'all can keep New York. This is not it. I'm moving <laughs> to San Francisco. <laughs> He's been there ever since. Well, good for him. Move state. Yeah. So. Yeah, and they got really good food in San Francisco too, man. But yeah, it's it's interesting, like living in the two coasts. Like it's interesting to note those kinds of things, like to grow up feeling like your culture, your ethnic identity, um, all the things that you cherish and hold dear are weird or wrong is like it's an awful feeling to grow up with that, right? And now that I'm older, all this Korean shit is now popping. What the fuck? Like all these bitches like <laughs> eating Korean food every day. All these bitches watching K dramas every day. All these bitches know the lyrics to K pop songs. I don't even fucking know them. It's like every day. And I'm like, where was this shit when I was in middle school and high school, huh? <laughs> all you bitches made fun of me. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't get to eat my food, haters, you know? But it's also like because I went from Brooklyn, which is very diverse, right? Like all like literally if, if you look at my class photo, every single student was of a different ethnic background. It's like we had fucking like Eastern European kids. We had like all kinds of Asian kids. We had, you know, we had black students. We had Latinx students. We had all kinds of like ethnic background. It was super diverse. And then my parents moved me and my brother for middle school and high school up to a super white part of New York in Rockland County. It's like near like Nyack and shit like that. Mm -hmm. But even in Rockland, of all the schools, like Nyack is pretty diverse. Nanuet's pretty diverse. And then you go to my school at Pearl River, it's all fucking Irish Catholics. Like everybody's dads are like cops and firefighters everybody's firefighters, moms right? yeah. dude i was just those are the most racist motherfuckers you know what i'm saying right and uh, it was so awful 
like going to that all white school where even the teachers are all like Irish Catholic because like they literally grow up there and they become teachers. You know what I'm saying? And they start teaching at that school. So it was like constant feeling of like shame and, you know, I don't belong here. When I was in seventh grade, I remember distinctly we were learning about the Japanese quote unquote internment camps, right? Or quote unquote detention centers, which is what they call the fucking ISIS cages today. Um, so incarceration camps, right? We're learning about this. And literally every single Irish Catholic white kid in that class was like, I think it's great that America took measures to round up the Japanese and put them away because we don't know. We don't know what they're about. They were like very blatantly, unapologetically and confidently racist. And my fucking teacher just like had no control over it. She was just like, wait, wait, wait. That's not why I'm teaching you guys this. You got no, no, no. You're not. We're we're critiquing the the steps america took we're not supposed to wait you guys aren't understanding and then this fucking bitch a week later okay so one week later when we're taking the history class again she fucking talks about how uh in lo like in the local news a chinese food delivery man got murdered by three white teenagers over like a chinese food delivery because the kids didn't have money and i was like why are you bringing up a chinese food delivery guy right now you know it's like what does that have anything to do with japanese incarceration in america and then all of your students being racist what does that have any i was like are you conflating asians now like what's happening what's happening and you know i'm in there i'm like this is wrong i'm the only motherfucker in that class that was like this is wrong this is not cool <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't cool of america back then. it's not cool what you guys are doing now is not cool. And then all the kids are like, Grace, shut up. You're not even Japanese. Look at Kyoko. She's not saying anything. I was like, Kyoko never talks. I have never seen Kyoko talk in class ever, ever. All right. It's not about being Japanese or Korean. It's about just being a human person and just realizing it's not okay to incarcerate people for no fucking reason other than racialized exclusion. Meanwhile, of course, you know, because we, we were only fighting World War II against Japan, right? Like, I guess- <laughs> Only Japan. It was the week after that they were gonna tell you about them other people, right? The Germans, maybe, the Italians, maybe, like in week two after that. And they're fucking fascists. Yeah, they never talked about that. No, they were like, no, no, we're cool with the Germans. But you know, like it, it, even in American history, like we know, like the Germans were discriminated against in America. Like the German Americans, they were highly discriminated against, right? Like German business stores were like broken into. And sh oh, that shit came up in history class too. They're, like a lot of German stores were like, uh, like vandalized and stuff during World War II because of the propaganda. But I'm like, oh, you guys feel bad about that? About the German store owners getting their store vandalized? Nobody rounded their shit up. I'm like, the Nazis murdered millions of Jews. Nobody rounded up them, right? Like during, come on, come on. I was like, this is not cool. It's just very obviously blatant racism, right? And when people don't see that, it drives me insane. So like, let me ask you this. So I watched that Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, which is so good. Um, and she said, when, you re when I read the constitution, I see all the people who were left out of the constitution right so people of color obviously women and then 
one of her colleagues in the in the Supreme Court, who's very traditionalist, conservative, he says, I think you should read the Constitution the way it was written, word by word, word for word, take it literally. You should not interpret outside of that. So where, what's your take on that? Yeah, so the Constitution, I mean, it's, I, anyone who says you should read it word for word today is just ignoring the part where it says that someone like me is three fifths of a person, you know, like I'm a full five fifths, you know, sometimes I <laughs> give you a six fifths depending on what's happening, but no. So it's like, I, as a black, and this is why I just don't understand, you know, Clarence, Th I don't understand Clarence Thomas. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying people are any less black. I'm just saying, I don't understand him because mm -hmm. how can you be a black person? How can you be a black jurist? knowing that when this document was written, it wasn't just the time, it was written specifically to continue slavery. Mm. It was written specifically to uh, enshrine the power of the Southern states to continue enslaving people to keep their political supremacy. So mm -hmm. until, if you can give me a constitution that does not have that so-called three-fifths compromise in mm -hmm. it, you know, if mm -hmm. we could do a little updating, mm -hmm. then maybe I might be able to go, okay, let's read word for word. No, but until then, right. You know, it's, it's a document we have. It is the basis of our government. And, right. you know, short of amendments, we need judicial interpretation. And so mm -hmm. I think that's, it's just, it's just nonsense to me. Or, if we, you know, if we look at guns, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, there's no way that these people then, if there were the guns we have now, the weapons we have now, there's no way they would have written that the same way. Right. Also, and, you know, I mean, I can go really, really deep down into it. The same people who say read the Constitution literally are the same people who don't know how to read a comma. <laughs> because that Second Amendment does not say that everybody and their mama can just go get a gun if they want. No, it says, let's go. A well-regulated militia being necessary for the defense of a free state, comma, the right of the people to bear arms shall not be infringed. You notice how all that right of the people to bear arms shall not be comes way after what's important in that sentence. Mm -hmm. So a well-regulated militia being necessary for the defense of a free state. So, you know, sure, we could read it word by word, but I think that you can only do that if you literally read word and word and then forget everything you read before or after, stop. <laughs> Okay, I found what I want. Stop. I, I read. The, I found the word. The word is in the Constitution. It's the one I want. I'm gonna keep. Let's go with that one. I want yeah. that one. Arms. You know. It's like no. How about we read things in con? How about we read full sentences? If we can't read right. in conduct, first start reading full sentences, then go out to reading. In yeah. Conduct. So. Um, I know that's a great yeah, point. Whole living Constitution thing. I think right. you know. It's just we have to understand. Uh, courts are very conservative places. They don't like mm -hmm. being at the forefront of pushing out new laws. Mm -hmm. um, when that happens, um, there's this, so in legal circles, there's this question of whether the Supreme Court creating uh, in Roe v. Wade, you know, mm -hmm. women's right mm -hmm. to have abortion, there's this belief that the whole debate about abortion might have died down if, like, Congress had passed those laws. Hmm. So there's the, the, if judges are seen as being ahead of things, that's when mm. people don't like it, but okay. I'll, so that's a Roe v. Wade. Everyone talks about that. But then I also, mm. you know, the first law case I ever learned about 
was Topeka versus Brown or Brown v. Board of Education. Sorry, Brown v. Board of Education, which mm -hmm. is when the Supreme Court said maybe it's kind of illegal and super unconstitutional to do this whole segregation thing. You know, so it's like <laughs> yeah. that they got right, and you know, I think. And so the problem is when people start arguing, no, the judge doesn't have this power. The judge, the judges actually do have that power and judges should be using that power to go, what is the context in which we're living today? I have this old dusty document written by a bunch of rapists, murderers, and thieves, <laughs> right? Like, let's call them what they were, but we know the founding fathers, you mean. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to see that full family tree, okay? Because <laughs> I want to see, Family fathers, founding fathers. I want to see the full yeah. tree. Um, so let's take <laughs> off this old dusty document to kind of, you know, just yeah. figure out what we're going to do in a modern pluralistic society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They did. They they didn't see America turning out this way. <laughs> no. <laughs> how could they have? I mean, how could they have envisioned Hamilton? <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> There's no way they saw Hamilton coming. But that's so interesting what you say about this comma situation. So when you say, I mean, if the Constitution says a well-regulated militia comma right to bear arms, then that means it's speaking of like the military, a well-regulated yes. militia. So only the military should have guns, not fucking regular civilian people so even, so who are unregulated. Yeah, how, how they were living at the time, right? So, and we also have to understand, the Second Amendment is specifically because they were afraid of, they had just fought a war against the British, so they didn't want the British coming back. All right, fine, mm -hmm. whatever. This is the other crazy thing. Um, <laughs> in our Declaration of Independence, I, for, I forget it now, but it's called like, there's a phrase in our Declaration of Independence that refers to the savage Indian tribes. They don't teach us that. Can we read word for word? The savage Indian tribes. It's that so they're afraid of the British. They're afraid of the savage Indian tribes. <laughs> and they're afraid that, you know, these all all the all these millions of black folk that mm. they're raping and murdering every right. single day, right? They're afraid that they're gonna like gang up. It's all out of so, fear. They wrote it out of fear all out of fear it's all out of fear and it was you wow. know this white settler class that was for as far as they were concerned surrounded by enemies mm -hmm. and so the militia wasn't even the military the militia was like like whatever town you're in there was like a militia you know so like right. five you just keep all your guns together and oh, okay well, like yeah <laughs> either the, the the british or these indians or these black people ah get the guns um right. and then each so then that so the town militias became the state militias and then the state militias um not going to be able to give you the the year uh we just got rid of state militias we said no more state militias so the whole point yeah. of the second amendment probably should have gone away when we got rid of the whole thing they were talking about once right. so there is no more new york state militia okay huh but there's still this so-called right to bear arms right Oh my God, that's nuts. <gasps> okay. So the radical thing, the revolutionary thing would be to say, get rid of the second amendment because it is all wrong the way that we are, we have interpreted it today. That, and that's what some, so the, the and this is the other crazy thing. So the, this whole evolution of uh, the second, no one ever cared about the second amendment. 
Like right. second amendment, it's not a thing that, ooh, right? First of all, Americans don't read. Um, so they can, <laughs> asking them to read and count is just unfair, right? Like It's no fair. Yeah. You know, like maybe pick one over the other. No, but I think it's a, uh, the NRA uh, just basically used, like it became their issue to raise money. That's it. So even gun owners in the country, yeah, right. It's it's all about language. Gun owners are believe in sensible. They don't like gun control. Gun control. No, they don't call it. Stop calling it gun control. Stop. Stop. Call it gun safety. And then they're on board. Yeah. Then they're on board. Guns. Oh yeah, gun safety. So gun owners are in favor of gun safety. It's just the NRA that used it. You know, oh the liberals are coming to take your guns. Right. Um, to like become, and so it's, I think it's since like the fifties roughly that, okay. uh, or maybe even the seventies, even later, but like yeah. that's when it's just gotten so out of control now that, uh-huh. you know, gun laws in the States are such that you can literally walk around with basically automatic weapons. So they're not automatic, they're open carry. Automatic, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're white, if you're a black person, you're <laughs> holding a sandwich. <laughs> You could kill somebody with that bologna sandwich. You know, that, that Subway sandwich is looking at just reading, you know, and every day there was a guy, I think in Virginia, he was on the phone. Uh-huh. You know, it's so like anything in your head or perceiving nothing, right? So, yes, yeah, so you have these open carry states where. It's insane. Generally, white men with really long, nasty beards. I've seen the pictures. Yes. I'm not stereotyping, I'm just looking at the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> they can walk around with. Yeah you know, strap looking like the little Rambo fantasies. Right. The rest of us, I would not recommend that. That's the thing. Like I teach this in my classrooms and I I asked them, I was like, I was like, what is it about stereotypes and appropriation? Like black face, yellow face, red face, brown face. What is it about these things that is so negative? I asked them and they'll just be like, oh, it's racist. It's demeaning, it's dehumanizing. I was like, okay. So, but then really, why is it bad? Like, you're you're just giving me words. Why is it bad? And they just keep giving me the same kind of words. And I say, it's because if you can reduce a person down to something, it's easy to enslave them. You know, it's a mental thing. Like, you know, you're mentioning these white settlers and they're f- they, them writing the constitution out of fear you know, out of defensiveness and fear, right? Because they have the colonial oppression, but they're also oppressing, right? All around them. So, I mean, to me, that's like the most unhappy person. That's what I see, you know? A person who has just like enemies from coming down from the top down and then enemies that they're suppressing or killing around them. That's an extremely unhappy person. And it's like, well, if that person is like, that unhappy and they're objectifying whole bodies you know murdering raping killing whole entire like groups of people massacres right then it's like they have to get to a certain point to be able to do that mentally emotionally i mean they gotta cut disconnect from their humanity the only way to do that is to self-traumatize by creating stereotypes objectification you know reduction dehumanizing, you know, debasing is to the ability to not see humanity in another person is a skill that you develop, right? 
And they did that generation after generation. And it's just like, man, you know, you white people with the colonial mentality, you guys are pitiful. I mean, I, I feel bad for you. You're so disconnected from your humanity, right? And that's what I explained to them. I'm like, if you de dehumanize somebody, debase somebody down to something like that, it's dangerous because your thinking will be, oh, well, you can enslave these people, you know? Like, even think about just aside from race, let's think about in terms of like neoliberal terms or class terms, right? You know, you, you go to college, you pay tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to fucking college. You're in debt. Your first job is a goddamn internship and they don't pay you a cent. And they say, you should be so lucky. You interviewed in order to come here, work for us for free, you little piece of shit. And they treat you like shit at the internship. All of that to me is another aspect of that disconnection, dehumanization, not worrying how that intern, that kid will eat and support themselves, not worrying what they're, whether or not they have health care. You know, all of that is disconnection and dehumanization. And I just feel like we need to understand beyond, beyond these terms, like, you know, rhetoric is important as we talked about, right? Like gun safety. I love that, you know, like being able to come up with terms. I mean, that's why we have lawyers, right? You know, people who are craftsmen of languages. That's why we have professors, academics. They are very, you know, they're, they're gifted in terms of, you know, speech and words, right? That's why we turn to them. But it's like, let's really name, name things that connect us to the feeling the affective part, because I feel like, you know, the students were kind of naming things rotely, you know, whatever they read from Salon or Slate or whatever, NPR, and like dehumanizing, it's offensive, it's racist, it's, it's, uh, it's appropriation, it's whatevs, you know, but I'm like, tell me why, why you feel like this is wrong. We've got to feel it, you know, if we don't feel it, even the liberals will make mistakes, they make them all the time they don't feel they just name right i mean do you see that sometimes like liberals who they have the words they have they have that down they have the language but i'm, I'm like are you feeling this exactly so yeah it's this thing where it's like what is it called it's like the like the woke economy or something mm -hmm. like that you know there's all this this currency you know you want to position so if you really seen in a certain way and so you say all the right things but what are you doing behind that so my new thing is um i want to see the action behind the words right you know so mm -hmm. uh like for example I, i'm i i, I like I, I like to sue people it's a hobby i sued <laughs> once in small claims court over a hundred dollars all right like listen okay. i don't care i will come i don't care who you are i'm happy so i'm suing next employer um the name is Ziga Solo. they're a magazine here in germany queer magazine okay. um i was the only non-white editor wow ever <laughs> uh-huh like ever like 30 plus year history of this magazine do we think there might be something going on there i don't know so then when i'm treated differently and i'm like y'all right and then you know this might you know kind of like knocking at a hi sorry to bother you i just want to let you know that you might have discriminated against me maybe you should do something about that you know just like a friendly little hey right um it's just this defensiveness and it's like no but i'm the good guy right. no 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 no, no, no. I, I, I eat I eat at that Jamaican restaurant. No. <laughs> no. Or, you know, even I mean like literally this comes up every time, especially here in Germany. Um, whenever white people start to get the you know they get defensive because then literally this guy goes to me, uh, but uh, I'm friends with Hassan on the corner. 
not Hassan, our neighbor. We, 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 we watched exactly when he moved into the neighborhood. We were making sure he wasn't stealing anything. You know, so well, we just wanted to check Hassan. I know the Hassan. I So there's this, you know, this this. I want to position myself. I want to be seen a certain way. But am I going to be, let's start here, hiring people? Am I going to be living in a, is living in a diverse neighborhood important to me? Right? right. Is sending my kids to a diverse school, is that important to me? Right. So you, you can really see, you know, all these people will have these great ideas and principle. Right. And then it's like, okay, but what, what, so now you have the choice, what town are you moving to? Okay, for which mm-hmm. school district and why and your tax dollars mm-hmm. are going where and who are you supporting and who are you hiring and who are you, when I, when I see those actions behind those words, because right now people think that, that, that they can say the thing and stop, you know, the hashtag and stop. They, they don't think they have to go any further than that. I'm not saying everyone needs to be out here on the streets. It's kind of dangerous yeah. right now. If you need to go right. home, there's a pandemic. Sure. Stay home, right? But so not everyone, mm-hmm. we don't all need to be doing the same things, but we all need to be doing more. Everything we're doing needs to be doing. And if people mm-hmm. think it's enough to, you know, put a little black square on their Instagram, <laughs> you know, like put that black square and that and I did it. Yay, we beat racism. It's like no, 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 no. Let me explain how this works. Racism is is a system that we are all contributing to, unless we're us. fighting against it. All of us. And even yeah. if we're fighting against it, most of the time there can be some of the times when we fall right back into that role that was assigned to us. Always. So it's like mm-hmm. never ending, all encompassing. Yes. You got. You got to keep going, and you you can never stop. And you've got to keep examining in yourself. You know, I try to do this with myself. Like, oh, why did I just think of that about that person or mm-hmm. in that circumstance? Or right. where does that come from? Woof! Like, uh, you know, right. like what have I been mm-hmm. reading or what have I been consuming? Because mm-hmm. um, guilty pleasure that I'm going to admit. Um, so with my husband, we have a rule that uh, like we cannot. I made. Mean, I was like, look, I'm not watching anything on Netflix. That doesn't have black people in it mm. unless it's aliens because i really like my <laughs> science fiction you know so i'm like and then he'll, he'll like really can we watch this that and i'm like are the black people in it no 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 no, no. <laughs> he was traveling i recently so this is the guilty admission i've started watching the crown now <sighs> i know you might not and that, yes black people I love no, that but show. i've decided they're not human. They're aliens. They're in my yeah. aliens category. That's they are 100%. I agree. This is I, agree. Not, <laughs> I agree. This is not normal. But even that show, it's so awful because everything the British monarchy represents, you know, just like racism, it just, it dresses up really, it dresses up so well, you know, mm. they wear their little, little funny hats. You know, you put them in their little big ass, big ass, big ass homes, the homes on top of the homes. <laughs> hallways that are whole avenues just <laughs> and you know it looks really nice and so that's the problem you know racism look uh, who doesn't want to be you know sitting on the yeah. porch drinking mint juleps while everyone does everything for you you know all men are created equal now get back to the fields <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's not that's a nice life you know i get to rape whoever I want, I get to steal whatever I want, and you're going to build statues to me, and they're going to stay up for hundreds of years? You're going to ignore all my crimes? That's nice. Yep. Who doesn't you're going to put that? You're going to put a portrait of me up in your government's, your government buildings, right? 
that was the other harrowing thing, you know, like, I think it was like maybe season two of The Crown, like when she's doing that tour, when the queen's doing that tour, and she's in like, I don't know, like, like, basically non white countries. And there's like a fucking painting of her, like in the government spaces of those countries. I'm just like, ah, you know, like, if I saw that, like, in my country, like, if I saw that in like either in America or in Korea, if I saw a painting of some white lady, you know, who who did no good to my country, if I saw that, I would be outraged. But those people have to just live with it. Mm-hmm. They don't have a fucking yeah. choice. They have to fucking live with it. But, you know, it's like, but woe is the queen. <laughs> you know, it's like her husband might be cheating on her. Poor queen, right? <laughs> That's a, but honestly, The Crown's a really good fucking show. I mean, I got a hand of them. It was so good. I like, I eat, like, I just, the whole first season, I, it just. I know. Like, so I'm, 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 it's like, ah, it's like, it's like, so, okay, so. Before, I, I used to live in London, and I remember when I got to London, I was still watching Downton Abbey, because that was like, <laughs> Michelle Obama was watching Downton Abbey. I was like, that's a good recommendation. <laughs> That's literally yeah. I started. I started watching Dun and Abby because yeah. I mean I don't talk to Michelle, but you know she was in an interview. <laughs> okay. She was talking about Dun and Abby, so I was like, I'll watch this. And okay. then I get to England, and I'm like, oh no! I'm like, no, y'all still do. Oh no, that was that's cute on a little screen when it's like all weird and like a long time ago. But once I was like living there, yeah, and living there, realizing that here's fun thing. So two things. So when I moved to the UK, um, my taxpayer money was being spent to support these people living in their big ass houses. So you know, right. their British taxpayers pay for that. Yeah. But to bring it back to, you know, slavery discussion, when I moved to the United Kingdom in the year 2013, until I think it was the year 2015, so for two of the years I lived there, every month I was working and paying taxes, some of my tax money was being used to pay off the loan that the British government took out in the 1830s for reparations of slavery. Now stop, don't get too excited. Not reparations to the enslaved people, reparations to the enslavers. <gasps> so in the what? 1830s, the British government banned slavery and all the these white settlers in the Caribbean were hella mad about it. So the British government said, here, here's a check. You know how we were all really excited about our like, you know, maybe, maybe you got that 1400 right. stimulus check. You know how excited we were? Put some zeros on that. All these plantation masters, so-called, got checks from the British government in the 1830s. British government spent 200 years, basically, paying that off. So that when my, can I say black ass? My black ass shows up <laughs> 200 years later, and this is the thing that people don't get like, oh, slavery was so long ago. I'm like, no, I literally, I'm still paying for your, your great, great, great grandfather, you know, your tuition, you know how your little trust fund that sent you off to Eaton or wherever, that little trust fund you got. Yeah, I'm paying for that. And this is what people don't understand. They think, oh, so long ago, get over it. It's like, literally, they're still paying off the loans to the slave owners, not the enslaved people. No. The owners, That's the insane. rapist, murderers, and thieves. That is insane. That is nuts. That is so warped on so many levels. 
Oh my gosh. Like I can't even and, wrap my mind around it. And I'll tell you this, and it's, how did this come out? <laughs> so like there, the, the IRS over there is called HMRC. Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Anyway, <laughs> they sent out a tweet. <laughs> they put out a tweet. They're like, oh, just let you know. Just paid off the loan from the 1830s. And some journalist's like, wait, wait, what loan? How old was this loan? Wait, eight, you said 1830. So they, like, it had to like get unraveled after that. But it was just a tweet. We're like, oh, just made the last interest payment. Oh, my God. I got like goosebumps all over my body. So that's how much I'm freaked out by that news. That's horrifying. You know, yeah. this country, man, fucking America. I mean, this world, really. <laughs> um, there was this, uh, like, I think NET or P- like, NET eventually became PBS. But there was this program. So like, okay, so we had Amos and Andy and Balua, those like racist, you know, black caricature, mm-hmm. blackface TV shows when television first started. But then for 10 years, there were like zero black TV shows, like black family centered TV shows. There was like none. Um, and there was like, you know, civil rights movement was happening. It was like all of that was happening, but they didn't make any black TV, black family TV shows. But then they had like on public broadcasting, like PBS, where they would have like Downton Abbey and shit. They had a show called The History of the Negro People. It was, I think it was, um, it was narrated, it was hosted by Ossie, is it Ossie Davis? He played the mayor. Yeah, Yeah, he played the mayor in in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. But he's he's hosting it. And basically, in that program, they say, the reason why and this goes back to the dehumanization and like why is why is this incorrect like the europeans looked upon all of africa and its peoples as children like that was their that was how they came in that that was the perspective they came in with right so to infantilize an entire continent of people the hubris the arrogance it's like where do you get it where do you get it? No, but just to like wrap up my point, I just find the the hubris of the white man just really that's some like out like out there shit, you know? It's like really like wow, your hubris, you know? Like I I they they do have like whiteness studies, you know, they have like colonial studies, they have it, but I just I'm still baffled by like what does it take for a man to feel empowered to just be like i'm gonna just enslave an entire continent and its peoples and dislocate them and it's like where where does that come from like how is but you know honestly like asking that question is just as silly as like because i remember in the seventh grade when i was first learning about like you know like the anti-semitism and all that um i was like why i was like why did the nazis kill all these jews and my teacher was just like Grace, that's an answer that like historians and philosophers spend ages trying to answer, and there just is no answer. You know, like how do you answer a question like that? It, I don't know. It bums me out actually. It it makes me profoundly sad. <laughs> okay, I want to get us to some fun stuff, and then we'll wrap up. So I'm gonna ask you some flashcard questions based on this Korean TV show that I really like. Let's say you're a 17-year-old girl in high school. Your, your name is uh, Sun Tuk-sun. And it's the year 1988, Seoul Summer Olympics. 
and you got chosen to be a signpost carrier for the country Madagascar. And you've been practicing in the dead of the summer heat, working really hard, walking upright, wearing makeup, you know, carrying this sign, you know, keeping up with the rhythm and the pacing because, you know, you got all these hundreds of other people, you know, performing mm-hmm. for the, you know, Summer Olympics opening ceremony. And you're being interviewed on live television about your work. But then the anchor tells you on camera, live, that Madagascar has pulled out of the Olympic Games last minute. So your services are no longer needed. What do you do? I find I'm, we get extras for these Olympics. Okay, I'm going out. How old am I? Can I do 17? 17. 17. Yeah, I'm probably going to turn the tricks anyway. I'm getting people at these Olympics because. You know, like who's going to, you know, Madagascar, just yeah. get some extras for this little event, pay them out. No one's going to know. It's fine. No one expects Madagascar to do well anyway, right? Like they just have yeah. to show up. It's like I was reading about the guy who, um, like, I think it was like the London Olympics, just watched it and just became a rower like three months before the Olympics. What? Because every country gets to send someone, you know? Oh, like right. You don't need to be the best in the world. You just need to be the best in that country. So Right, right. You just have to know how to do it. Yeah. You have to just, know how to row. Like, enroll anyone. Be like, no, no, I'm sorry. I don't think you're so bipolar responsibility. No, I don't think you have your facts straight. I've spoken with the Madagascar Olympic <laughs> Committee this morning, and um, we're sorting that out. No, we're not letting, no, no. We're not, you're not killing my dreams, Madagascar. Uh-uh. <laughs> We're going to invent a whole new flag. We're just going to get a whole new country in there. Pass them off as Madagascar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shit. So you'll take, you'll take it into your own hands. All right. Take matters into your hands. That's good. I like that. I like a chick with agency, you know, it's the best. All right. So let's say you're a 17 year old boy. Your name is Mm Tongyu and you got hemorrhoids. Okay. You're embarrassed to tell anyone about it. So you don't go to the doctor or tell your parents that you need to see a doctor. Instead, you read in a medical textbook that shoving raw garlic up your asshole might make the swelling go down. So you do it. But while playing soccer, you fall on your ass. And when you stand up, your asshole is bleeding through your pants and all your friends see it. What do you do? Ooh, girl. Um, this is what you have to, you have to lean into a bigger lie. So I'm going to say there was a gerbil up there. And I unfortunately, that poor gerbil got crushed to life. And what a gerbil. And then I'm going to tell them the whole Richard Gear story. You, know, you put a gerbil up your asshole. And then they're, they're 17-year-old boys that just want to get off, right? So you used to flex the away from hemorrhoids uh, to something sexual. Yeah. But you don't have a gerbil up. You know, you just have to, like, own it. Again, you just have to own it. Yes. You know? And then make yes. other people think they're missing out on what you're doing. That's right. Yeah, that's always the best way to go. No matter how embarrassing or awful it is, just yeah. own it. Own it. Oh, pretend like it's part of the plan. <laughs> you know, just like, oh, we're going to have to get another gerbil. And they're going to be like, yeah. oh, it's a whole new thing. And then just find, I don't know, is it fun to like find a whole other country? Where it's like, it's all the rage in Europe, you know, just put a little gerbil. Up, you, know, you know, just make them think it's fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, put a charcuterie plate next to your ass and be like, it's part of the experience. Yeah, just let them nibble at it. It's fine. It's fine. It's like one of my name. Yeah. 
All right, great. Okay. I admit nothing is what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm leaning into everything as hard as I can. Yes, lean in. Beautiful. Okay, let's say uh, you're the 17-year-old girl, Tuxan, again. And uh, your neighbor, Sonu, is a a really nice guy. He's really sweet, and he's a good-looking kid. And he's always looking out for you, and he's really sweet to you. And your two best friends say that he likes you based on the way he's behaving. So you assume that he likes you, and you start to like him back. But one day, you find out that he actually has a crush on your older sister. What do you do? How much older is the sister? Like a couple years. Okay, but we look alike. Nothing <laughs> alike. Nothing, Nothing alike. Okay, because if he's got good D, right? Like I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a chicken. I don't care. All into me? No, no, no. You do not get to be into the oldest sister. I can play the oldest. You know, everyone likes maybe like a little cheerleader costume. I'm yeah. a like the sister just to get that deep because if you got a good like that then like whatever just get him okay well okay not get him drunk maybe okay let's get some consent involved all right okay yes. not get him drunk but just you know start doing my hair a little differently you know walk with a bit more confidence okay he just might might have a thing for older women but once i really put it on him he's going to be all into the 17 year old okay? oh all right he's going to be yeah, he's gonna consent. He's gonna consent. Yeah, but I'm that D, right? Yeah, he's, yeah. No, my sister ain't getting that. She mm-hmm. off. She has that. So you would use your youth to your advantage. Yes, yes. All First, right. I would, I would, I would, you know, walk with more confidence, give him that older woman vibe, you know. Uh huh. Maybe a little <laughs> tough, you know, just lean on in. Yeah. He's coming. For me. He's coming for me. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, fine, great, great. He has won enough her entire life. No, I'm getting this. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. Let's say uh you're a Paduk player, all right? You know Go, that that game game of Go. It's like the little white and black stones. So you're a Paduk player, very famous Paduk player named Chitek. And you have a crush on your neighbor and childhood friend, Tuxan, that chick, right? And you want to ask her out but you later find a photo of her inside your best friend's wallet. What do you do? The best friend has to go. <laughs> okay. Cause he's like a stalker. Uh, I'm just protecting my love interest from this. He has nothing to do with her. I'm not even going to ask him. We're just going to go out on like, do, they, do, we do hunting trips on the way? To the, they're just going to be, you just got to go. I do not like competition. Is this coming through? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to win it all. Always. It sounds if like it. Yeah. Get rid of that competition. Yeah. She's got to be there for me. No, I mean, if it's, how long have I known this best friend? Maybe, you know. Oh, your whole life. My whole childhood friends. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then there is bros before hoes. This mm. is a thing. It is a thing in the zeitgeist. <laughs> bros before hoes. Apply. Um, are we all like swingers? Because I come from a place where everyone wins. These are high school kids. No. <laughs> they grow up very fast. <laughs> but it's the year 1988. It's, you know, I don't know. They're, they're very, you know, like. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> I'm just, oh, we can make this work for everyone. You know, that win, win, win situation. Yeah. 
Okay, do like the the Mormons do, kind of share and exactly. pass exactly. around. She's got that breath. She's going to realize that at some point anyway. So, you know, yeah. it's like, you can try them out them with me and then it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Reasons for the win. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. Let's say you're an 18-year-old high school kid named Sanu, and you have a crush on your older neighbor, Pora. All right, this is Tokson's older sister. And she's a couple years older than you are. And she goes to, you know, a fancy college. And she has a boyfriend. And you confess your love to her. And she tells you that she's always seen you as her little brother. Nothing more. What do you do? You got to wait this one out. All right, because you're 18, you can't come in hard. You ain't got nothing to offer this woman. You ain't got no car, no driver's license, no credit card. You ain't got nothing. Listen. You just gonna have to wait, all right? Let them get married, let them live their whole life. And then, you know, around like year two, year three of that marriage, when he's not paying her no more attention, that's yeah. when that guy who's always been there, she's been always reliant. You just gotta play the long game on this one, all right? Don't come in hard. Mm-hmm. Wait maybe like five, seven years, Bulk up in the meantime. You know, you gotta really like have your eyes on the prize and then slide into her DMs. <laughs> I promise you she gonna think different. Promise. Yes. Promise. The long haul, the long game. Yeah. yeah. Yes, the yeah. long con, like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, because 18, <laughs> eh, no. 18 year old boy, no. Eh. Uh, Gross. No. Five year old. Yeah. 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 Wow. When I was 18, I broke up with my 18 year old boyfriend to be with a 25 year old. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? Okay. It's that age when you're 18. They leave you. (laughs) Wait it out. She'll be desperate. She will be desperate. And then you're going to be all, you know, have some abs and maybe get some abs. Yeah. Yeah. So work on yourself. Yeah. 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 I like that. Okay. Beautiful. Awesome. All right. (laughs) Final, final question. Let's say you're an 18-year-old high school girl named Tuxan, same girl. You go to a restaurant with your friends, and you briefly excuse yourself to go to the bathroom, which is downstairs of a very sketchy building. And a strange man appears wearing a long trench coat, and he opens his coat, and he's butt-ass naked, and he flashes you. What do you do? Mm-mm. I'm gonna have my my camera phone on ready, okay? Camera phone ready. Flash, record the whole thing. I'm a TikToker. I, he does not have a very influential TikToker, okay? So this is going up. I'm gonna get all my snacks because you know, like K-pop fans, they they crazy. They good. <laughs> they technically savvy. They can buy up all the tickets to you know Trump rallies to make sure no one goes. So I'm gonna have this man's information out there fast. They're gonna get his face. They're gonna his name. They're gonna know where he's works. They're gonna send his his mama to like his his whole office. No, no, you ain't flashing me and getting away with it. No, we coming for you. We ready for you. Actually, this was a setup. Okay. No, he's going down. He's going down. And I might get like a few more million followers out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a social justice work. And don't is, don't flash Joe, everybody. Yeah. And <laughs> this is why I want to show my, my knowledge of contemporary Korean affairs. I think yes. Korean men right now don't like this symbol because it makes them think you've got like a they've got a small dick. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah, it's like a thing. So if you put this like all like 
ad agencies, if they see this, like they're like in, incels go crazy. So I'm just gonna, you know, do this in a little video to like piss off, piss them off even more. And we're gonna have a whole feminist movement out of this. <laughs> All right, beautiful. I love that. <laughs> that wraps it up for us, Joe. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time, all the insights, <laughs> all the technical difficulties that we we uh, we overcame. We overcame yeah. them. Yeah. And I wish you could see me right now. I've got everything like I've learned. <laughs> I'm like, no, we're not going out this way again. You have a production crew and a team yeah. waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. It was awesome.